This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Coming up on today's Talk of Buffalo podcast, part two, the conclusion of State of the Buffalo Bills. For a second time this week, I got Jay Skursky, Buffalo Bills beat writer at the Buffalo News. He's going to be my guest. Tuesday was all about the offense. Today is all about the defense. Well, maybe a couple seconds of special teams talk too, but primarily all about defense. Jay and I are going to go through the entire defensive roster, break it down position by position. We'll talk about the outstanding depth on the defensive line. We'll talk about the lack of depth and a linebacker, a potential troublesome spot in the secondary. Just tons of Bills talk with Jay we also got thoughts on Stu Boyer, our buddy over at WGRZ-TV Channel 2. Retired after 35 years of being on the air this week. Stu's a, a good friend to us and uh, to lots of people out there. So we got some thoughts on him. Also going to spend a few minutes talking about Jay's six-year-old son. Golf prodigy, man. This kid at six years old. It's ridiculous how good he can hit a golf ball. All that. Plenty more coming up with Jay. I'll have that for you in just a minute. Before that, though, I want to let you know that today's show is being supported by our friends at 26 Shirts. At 26 Shirts, a different Buffalo-themed design is sold every two weeks. They have a shirt. It's open for two weeks for sale. Then, bam, that shirt is gone, so you got to get it right away. And they do a lot of good things. But of all the things they do, here's the best part, folks. Every single time they sell a shirt, every shirt sold, a donation is made, proceeds from that. Go to a specific worthy campaign or to a charity each and every single time. Since the company started in 2013, their designs have managed to raise and donate several hundred thousand dollars, well over three quarters of a million at this point. Del Reed, his crew, they do such an amazing job. They enrich the lives of so many people. It's awesome to see. And not to mention, these are outstanding looking design shirts, very comfortable. Sporty to wear, look good on you. I have a handful of them myself. Head on over to 26shirts.com and see what cause needs you this week. And on that note, let's do it. Buffalo's got a spirit talking proud, talking proud. Listen up and hear it talking proud, talking proud. Look good life that you share with nice people who care. It's time to tell them all. All right, everyone, what's going on? Episode 230, Talk About Flow podcast. Thank you to everyone out there, as always, for continuing to listen. Download Sports Show really means a lot to me. Part two of two this week, State of the Buffalo Bills. On Tuesday, we did offense. Today's going to be defense, a little bit of special teams. And just like on Tuesday, I'm going to be joining just a minute by Jay Skursky. Jay, of course, covers the Bills for the Buffalo News. He did both interviews with me for both shows this week. Very grateful to have him on. Tons of good Bills insight, takes, analysis, all that stuff. I'll talk about Jay in just a minute. Before that, though, I want to get to some sports media news in Buffalo that really sucked, really shitty, but fortunately has a happy ending. That's over at WGR 550. Paul Hamilton, who I'm not going to go as far to say that he's a friend of mine, although we're friendly, but he's certainly a friend to this podcast. 25 years that man spent covering the Sabres and other stuff at WGR. And uh, unfortunately, his his tenure came to an end this week. He was laid off by Intercom Radio. And that really sucks. It's shitty. And I get it why. COVID is, you know, the economic impacts have been felt 
all over, everywhere in the country, in the world for that matter. I understand it. Sabres haven't played since March. Probably not going to play again until January. I'm sure decisions came from the top to get rid of some budget, slash some money. Long story short, Paul's out. And that really sucks because he's one of the best to do it. I know Paul has a very love-hate relationship when it comes to how fans at least feel about him. Lots of fans love him. Frankly, lots of fans don't love him. Paul's very quick to block people on Twitter. If you're on Twitter, you already know that. In fact, it's a good chance Paul might have blocked you. He's got very little tolerance for any bullshit. People come at him on Twitter. He blocks you, man. That's just how it goes. So anyway, I get it. But peers and colleagues and lots of fans who do love him spoke out big time in support of him this week. I did as well. Again, I really don't consider myself a friend per se of Paul, but I'm certainly friendly with him. He's been on the show twice. In fact, I just had him on about a month or so ago. It was him along with John Vogel and Chris Baker and uh, Chad DiDominicis. And we did an all-time Sabres draft, a two-parter. It was tons of fun to do. Paul's personality really shined through on that episode. And I get asked quite frequently here, going off rails just a little bit, but I'm just going to say this. I get asked at least semi-regularly who's been my favorite guest on this podcast. And I got to tell you, man, Paul Hamilton is right up there with the best. Had him on, I don't remember when it was. But at the time, I remember that I had never had a conversation with Paul in my life leading up to his interview on my podcast. I didn't know what to expect. Seen the little surly on social media. I've, I've seen him in locker rooms before and stuff like that. But again, I've never had a conversation with him. But man, I'll tell you what, he opened up. Now, I know him as a hockey guy, and I know that he's one of the best hockey minds out there. But he's got a lot of personality. There's a lot to him, man. It really, he's a very passionate person. He's been through a lot. Well-documented battles with his weight. He lost his wife to cancer. Dude's been through a lot, man. He's a good person. I really enjoyed him. I still do. I shouldn't talk about him past tense. But the point being is that it absolutely sucked that WGR had to let him go. And I feel like WGR is going to be less off because they don't have Paul Hamilton. He's as good as it gets when it comes to the Buffalo Sabres and the NHL. But anyway, here's the really good news, folks. So I'm taping this intro on Thursday. And basically, I was set to have this kind of like eulogy of Paul Hamilton's broadcasting career in the Buffalo sports media. Fortunately, that is definitely not going to be the case because not long before I taped this intro here, um, Anna Benini from WGRZ TV Channel 2 in Buffalo took to Twitter and he announced that he was excited to announce that Paul Hamilton is joining their team and he's going to be talking Sabres and NHL both on air and online. And in fact, you're hearing this Friday. That actually starts on Saturday, so it starts tomorrow. So Paul's right back on his horse, and he's right back in the game, folks. Now, I don't know if that's full-time. I don't know to what extent he's going to be doing work with Channel 2, but I really don't give a shit. I'm just happy that he's not on the sidelines and that he's right back in the game. So for Buffalo Sabres fans, I think that's awesome news. One other thing, too, and this also involves WGRZ TV Channel 2. Stu Boyer retired this week. It was his last sports cast. I believe it was on Monday, wrapping up an awesome 35-year career. I'm not going to talk about Stu much here at the top because actually, Jay and I, during our segment, have some thoughts on Stu and his career. We both know him pretty well. But I am going to announce right here, this is a programming note, that next Tuesday on the podcast, Stu's actually going to be my guest with me. And we're going to have a nice long interview, man. We're going to talk about his life, his career, what led to him announcing his retirement what he plans on doing now that he is retired. All kinds of fun stuff with Stu Boyer. One of the nicest guys I've ever met in my life. And I truly mean that. That'll be on the show next Tuesday. So I'm very much looking forward to that. As for today, like I said, say to the Buffalo Bills, wrapping up a two-part series, defense special teams. Jay and I go through the entire defense. We talk about the enormous depth 
on the defensive line. We talk about the lack of depth at linebacker. Trey White getting ready to get paid. Jordan Poyer resigning, becoming a leader of this defense. Uh, Josh Norman was that signing a mistake. And we do spend at least a couple of minutes anyway talking about special teams. I mean, there's not a lot going on there, but there is at least a kicking battle brewing between incumbent Stephen Hoshka and the rookie Tyler Bass. That, that could be interesting. So we hit on that. Again, we talk a few minutes about Stu Boyer and his career at Channel 2 and him as a person. Lots of good stuff with Jay. In fact, I'm done babbling on here at the top. Let's just get into today's episode. Here it is right now. Part two of my chat with Jay Skursky. All right, we are back. Part two, State of the Buffalo Bills. I'm joined again by Jay Skursky. Disclaimer, by the way, for everyone out there listening, we are taping this late Sunday night. So if anything crazy happens with the Buffalo Bills, we didn't forget about it. We just didn't know about it because we taped this beforehand. What's going on, Jay? Hey, not much. Just uh, like I said uh, in part one, you know, just uh, dealing with uh, life as we know it right now, which is a little crazy. But uh, looking forward to uh, to hopefully training camp and in uh, an NFL season. I know we all need it. Well, I'll tell you, professionally, before we get talking about the Bills, and today we're doing defense, and we'll at least touch on special teams. If there are fans and you guys are allowed to cover the games at the stadiums this year, one familiar face that you probably won't be seeing, at least in a professional capacity, is Stu Boyer. He made over this past week his final sportscast, a 35-year career at WGRZ-TV. One of the all-time nicest dudes I've ever met in my entire life. Called it a career, a great one. I know you're friends with him. Last episode, we kind of had to talk about Dick Gallagher and it was a sad tone. This is kind of more of a, of a happy tone. Stu called it a career, spending more time with his family. Your thoughts on uh, our buddy Stu Boyer? Yeah, you, you know, you said it. I mean, the, the first thing that comes to mind when I think of Stu is just what a genuinely nice human being he is. And uh, that is, uh, that's true. Um, you know, anybody that's met Stu knows that, right? And, and, you know, he has done it all in Buffalo sports. I mean, 30, 30 plus years, almost 35 years it's been uh, at, at Channel 2. Just remarkable uh, longevity in a, in a business that has been so turbulent at times for so many, right? And, and, and uh, you know, you just think of sports journalism and, and, you know, I'm of the age that I grew up watching Stu, right? And then to be able to get to work alongside him uh, with our relationship with the Buffalo News and, and Channel 2, where we do Sports Talk Extra and, you know, and doing live shows with Stu and everything like that. Just a, a, a true pro in every sense of the word, really a fixture in the in the Buffalo sports community. And, you know, he's a guy that I'm going to miss, uh, you know, seeing in the press box or seeing at Channel 2 and and talking about mostly it was baseball. Stu loved baseball, loved the, the Cleveland Indians, always liked to give me the business because uh, I'm a Red Sox fan and I know I'm talking to a Yankees fan, right? So we got a lot of the AL uh, kind of yeah. uh, covered there. But yeah, we would talk baseball all the time. And yeah, I'll certainly miss those those talks, but I'm very happy for him that, you know, the, you know the maybe the, the downside, you know, uh, we always talk about, you know, in what we do, we have, you know, when I meet people, they think, oh boy, you've got the coolest job. And in a, in a lot of ways, you know, we do. We, we, we have very fun jobs to be able to cover sports, uh, you know, something that we love, uh, myself, you, you know, yourself, Stu, uh, to make a living uh, doing it is, is terrific, but it comes at a, at a cost, a personal cost, right? And I know Stu worked nights and, and weekends for a long, long time, and, and you miss a lot of things along the way. And for him to be able to now take part in, in any of those and all of those, uh, I'm very, very happy for him. So, you know, the fact that he gets to, uh, to spend some more time with his family, it's well-deserved and, and kudos to him. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, my favorite thing about him, and I'm not just saying this, I really mean it, did not matter if you were a national reporter, like if Adam Schefter was in town to do a story on somebody, or if you were a high school beat reporter for a local rag, dude treats everybody the exact same. Could not be a kinder person. I talked to him. Looking forward to it. He's going to be on the podcast pretty soon. I've never had him on. Now he's got a lot more time on his hands, so he's going to do the show. I'm looking forward to uh, talking to him. But yeah, Stu Boyer calling it a career, a great one after 35 years. 
Before we talk Bills, I wanted to hit on this for Tuesday's show, but we kind of ran a little bit long. Your boy, Elliot, <laughs> out there golfing. I've I seen a couple of videos. Dude, that kid, get hit the ball. It's such a nice looking swing. What's he been up to with golf? And I know you kind of took him on the road a little bit recently to play. Yeah, you know, so we, uh, he, he's uh, six years old now. He's, he's playing in uh, U.S. Kids Golf Tournaments, which is uh, what he started in last year. Uh, six and under is the age group. And uh, unfortunately, the, uh, where he played last year is in Niagara, Ontario. They have a, a branch of uh, U.S. Kids Golf there. And with the COVID situation going on and, and the bridge being closed down, uh, we haven't been able to get over to uh, the to the tournaments that he played last year, and there was there was no tour in Rochester, uh, which uh, also had a, a, a tour or a branch uh, last year, and, and that never really took off this this spring because of the coronavirus. So we we've had to to resort to going to Cleveland. So we've been making a lot of trips down the ninety, and uh, he did the spring tour in Cleveland. They they did an excellent job. It was really well run. They. You know, they, they adhered to the, all the social distancing and everything like that, but they were still able to to get the kids outside and, and you know, have them do some some golfing and get some exercise and fresh air and all that stuff that's good for you, right? And, uh, you know, I was thrilled about that. And, yeah, Elliot has been uh, – he's been kicking butt, man. He won the uh, – he won the, the, the tour championship for the spring season. Uh, I think he had four first-place finishes and two second-place finishes, so he's been playing – some good golf. He's on another new set of clubs because he won't stop growing. So I'm, uh, I'm just sinking money into clubs here left and right. And, uh, yeah. but the big, you know, the big thing is he's, he, uh, qualified for the, the U S kids golf world championship, which is actually held at Pinehurst. It's in, uh, the last week of July. Uh, so I'm thrilled about that. Uh, kids from all over the world come to this, uh, we, you know, the participation maybe will be a little bit different this year with, uh, with the coronavirus. There might not be, uh, particularly from overseas as many kids, but even maybe uh, from the United States, there, there might not be as many people traveling, uh, understandably. Uh, but hopefully, you know, things improve with the numbers. But yeah, you know, last year in, in his age group, I think there were 60, 65 kids, something like that. And, you know, these are the, the best of the best. You know, it's a, a true tournament that you have to qualify for. And, and he's in that. And uh, I'm just thrilled with the progress that he's making. He's, uh, he's working working really hard at it but you know you know the most important thing in, in, as you know as a, a, a father who's got uh you know a son in athletics is they've got to love it and and he loves it and you know and that just warms my heart that uh, that we get to share that together yeah that's so cool and it look you're a sports dad even if you didn't do this for a living if you didn't work in sports for a living just being a sports dad is really cool and i know you i know you would be just as supportive if he was a crappy golfer who couldn't hold his club right, you know, if he played another sport and he was the last guy on the bench, we still go out, we support our, we love our kids, but you can't lie, man. It's pretty cool to go out there and watch your boy go out there and kind of dominate, ain't it? <laughs> yeah, man. You know, it's, it, it, it is, it's, it's awesome. It's, it's just, uh, you know, his, and it's just, you know, it's remarkable. You, you realize when you hear about, you know, God given, right. And that phrase and what it means for athletes. I mean, I've, I, I, you know, I've been able to help Elliot with golf. I play, you know, I'm a, I'm, I would say good. I'm certain I'm far from great, but you know, compared to maybe the average person, I'm a, a pretty good golfer. And I, I love the sport though. And, you know, all the values and, and everything and, and what you can get away from it. So, or take away from it. And so I can help him to a point, but there are things that I've never taught him that he just knows how to do and it's remarkable for me to watch that. I mean, Pat, I'll line up a putt and I'll tell him which way I think it's going. He'll look at it and he'll disagree with me. And I'll say, all right, you know what? Hit it your way. And more often than not, he's right. And, it, you know, the <laughs> fact that he's he's reading greens better than me at six years old. And I can tell wow. you that I'm not teaching him that. You know what I mean? So it's it's pretty cool to see his natural God-given ability at the sport. And it, yeah, I'm very excited to see where it could take them. I just want them to keep loving it. And, uh, you know, we tell them every tournament and, and I try to try to maintain that is, uh, you know, the, the two most important things, try your hardest and have fun. And, and he's definitely doing that. Yeah. As long as that's what it's all about, that they continue to love what they do. My son loves playing football. He's going into his senior year. And I, you know, I kind of get a little bit nuts at times. I'm sure you probably, at least in your own mind, are a little bit. <laughs> Yeah. Here and there, 
watching no, your kid play, and as he gets totally. older and he's going to even get better, you know, you kind of, you know, you got that competitiveness in you, but then, yeah, you got to just, you know, we step back and just uh, enjoy what they're doing. But the best part is that he loves it. And when he loves it, he's going to get better because he's going to want to get better. Yeah, you know, you know, it's just, you, know uh, you see fun. potential in your kids, right? Maybe more so, yep. maybe more than they do, or or at least sooner than they do, right? And you know, it's uh, you know, navigating how you help them maximize that potential and understand and, and help them understand that they have that potential. I think is uh, something that that I that I wrestle with a lot, you know, and and I think probably all you know all parents of, of kids in athletics, uh, you know, have maybe come across. So yeah, it's, it's something that that certainly. Uh, I think about. Yeah. So check it out. We're going to end today with a fun fact finale. I'm going to ask you a bunch of random questions. So I'm going to let that sink in your mind for a little bit. And you're just going to pop out the answers. A couple of these I might have asked you, but you know what? It doesn't count because that was episode five more than two years ago. You probably forgot your own answers. By that <laughs> yeah, right. You probably, I probably did. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> five. Oh, that's, I'm a OG podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you are. Creator, one of my right? first. Yeah. One of the first guests I've ever had on this podcast. So today we're talking defense. Let's start with the defensive line. This is There was a lot of turnover on the defensive line. One of the only positions on this team where there was a lot of turnover, whether they're better or worse, that remains to be seen. I'll get your thoughts on that. But first, let's start with what they lost. Because again, significant talent lost here in free agency. Jordan Phillips went to Arizona. Shaq Lawson went to Miami. Jordan Phillips had 10 and a half sacks last year. Was second in the NFL amongst defensive tackles. I think second only to Aaron Donald. And uh, Jack Lawson finally seemed to put it all together. Had six and a half sacks, and he's always been a good run defender. He was a very good all-around defensive end last year. Both left for greener pastures, got good money. So let me start there. What are your thoughts on losing them? Yeah, um, you know, two different situations, right? You know, with Lawson, you know, I, I think that he... You know, he was, you know, he was saddled, I guess, uh, for lack of a better word, with being a first round draft pick. Right. And the expectations that come along with that. And, you know, did he ever truly live up to to those expectations? I, I would tend to say no. Uh, you know, I think it, it, as close as he ever came was what he was able to do last year. But even with that being the case, you know, he still didn't really, you know, start, right? Trent Murphy was the starter at the position. And yeah, they rotate on the defensive line and and Lawson played. And I think, you know, you could build a case that maybe he was the the more effective player than Trent Murphy. But for whatever reason, you know, the coaching staff seemed to, to, to trust Murphy, uh, if not more, at least equally, right? And, and didn't give Lawson more playing time. And, uh, you know, when you think about that and then you th- you see the deal that he gets in Miami, right, about 10 million bucks a year, uh, I think it makes kind of, you know, it makes sense why they decided to let him go. And uh, I think Shaq Lawson deserves a lot of credit for staying with it, right? It would have been easy, you know, for him to tap out at some point and say, listen, these aren't the guys that drafted me. This isn't the coach uh, who brought me in. That was Rex Ryan. And he, he you know, to the – not he didn't just stick with it, you know. Sean Sean McDermott would would mention often about the value that Shaq Lawson had to the team in terms of what he brought to the locker room and his energy and his what he calls his juice, right? And and any any reporter that you've had on this show, if you've asked them about Shaq Lawson, they'd probably tell you you would hear Shaq Lawson well before you see him. He was just one of the one of those voices in the locker room that you always knew where he was, and that was his his style. So I think he'll be missed in that regard. In terms of on the field, you know, obviously I'm sure we'll get to, you know, who's here to replace him. And then, you know, Jordan Phillips, a bit of a different story, right? He's this find. He's this waiver warrior off the scrap heap addition that they get from Miami. And it's one of those moves that, you know, uh, Brandon Bean can kind of look back on and go, yeah, I knocked it out of the park with that one. You know, whether it was him or, you know, it was somebody recommended to him in his personnel department, whatever the case may be. But, you know, that's a success story that can be looked at as a win-win for both sides. The Bills were, you know, they got the best, they got the the absolute best out of Jordan Phillips in terms of what he's been as an NFL player. And in turn, he's went out and he got himself a really nice contract. So I don't think either side should walk away from that relationship feeling like they got cheated. Uh, I, I think it worked out really, really well for both sides. But in terms of the Bills deciding to move on from Jordan Phillips, I mean, 
let's not forget, right, that they spent the ninth overall draft pick on Ed Oliver, the guy that they hope is the future at that three-technique defensive tackle position, at that interior pass rusher pass rusher position. So, I, I, I again, I don't think we should be all that surprised that they decided to let Jordan Phillips walk, particularly when you see the money he's making. The guys that are coming back, you mentioned him, Ed Oliver, Jerry Hughes, of course, Star Lodelay, Trent Murphy is back. Some people think that might not be for long. I kind of don't agree with that. I do think he's going to be here. They can save a lot of money by cutting him. So let's actually go to him next. I thought last year, this is easy to forget because a lot of people just want to run this guy out of town and I understand why. But I thought he played really well at the end of last season. I think he had two sacks in the playoff game against Houston too. I think the guy still has some, I think he still has some value. And if you're not in cap trouble, which the Bills are not, why why is everyone so anxious to get rid of him? Should they be? It's, good. it's a good question. I'm with you, and I feel like I, I, I would agree with you. I think we, we might be in the in the slight minority uh, in terms of that opinion. And, yeah, I think you know going back to the playoff game, it was two sacks, and I think it was two sacks the week before, too. I know, I know that was kind of a, a meaningless regular season finale, but the Jets were playing their starters, and uh, Sam Darnold was playing, and, and Trent Murphy was able to do some good things in that game, too. So I'm with you. I don't see – I, I say this a lot. It, it, I'm stealing it from my colleague, Mark Gaughan, who I, I steal most of my good ideas from. But what's <laughs> wrong with having good veteran depth, right? It, why, teams seem to be allergic to that. They seem to look at guys who are veterans who maybe are making slightly more than what they should be making and saying, oh, well, they should cut that cut that guy for salary cap purposes, right? Yeah, I mean, cap space is nice, but he's in the final year of his deal. That They're going to have – that cap space. And okay, yeah, I understand you can roll over the amount you don't use and and they could free up some money that way, but it's not a it's not such a pressing need either this season or even next season that cap space needs to be the decision maker for this franchise in terms of player personnel. It should be performance, right? It should be what does this guy add to this team? And you know, we talked in episode 1 when we were doing the offense about the move for Stefan Diggs says to me, this is a team that's going for it. Well, if you're going for it, keep your depth, right? Keep your good players. And yeah, is Trent Murphy a superstar? Do I Am I saying that he's going to be a pro bowler this year? No, I don't think so. But he's, you want to talk about the process, right? And Sean McDermott, he's Mr. Process. He's all about the process. He fits in very well to what this team wants to do defensively, what this team wants to do culturally in terms of the locker room he he's a big part of that so I'm with you I say keep him around it only takes one injury on the defensive line for this depth that they have built and, and I'm sure we'll talk about it right because it is deep up front but one injury and that depth goes away and then you're saying well we could use a guy like Trent Murphy so yeah I'm with you unless he totally shows up to training camp and I don't expect this at all and is just outperformed by not just you know the names that we would expect to be on this roster, but maybe guys who we are looking at as long shots. Uh, outside of that, I think Trent Murphy's got a spot on this team for good reason. Yeah, I completely agree. Is he worth $9.775 million against the cap this year? Of course he's not worth that. But what benefit do you have? How does he make your football team better by getting rid of him? Again, if you don't need the cap room. Now, like you said, if he goes to camp, and let's say somebody like Mike Love comes out of nowhere and is just flat out better than him. Or uh, Brian Cox Jr. who signed, I don't see that happening. But if something like that happens, okay. If it's a football reason, then get rid of him. But if it's a money reason, you don't need to. What about Ed Oliver? We don't need to talk about his talent. We already know how good he is or how good he can be. We saw flashes last year. I'm sure you're expecting to see a lot more this year and year two. But you have to go back to the offseason. And the arrest in Houston, the, the DWI, the possession charge. Sure, 22-year-old, a stupid mistake, it happens. But at the same token, I don't want, I'm not just willing to just blow it off like, oh, well, dumb kid mistake either. No. That's a little bit concerning to me. Are you concerned? I, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't see how you, how you can't be. Or you, you certainly shouldn't just write it off as a dumb mistake. I mean, you know. And I don't even know that I like that word necessarily in this um, in this instance. You know, a mistake is, uh, you know, leaving the oven on when you leave the house. I, I think this sure. is a, a lack of decision making on Ed Oliver's yeah. part. I think it's a really bad decision. 
Um, and, and obviously the legal process has to play it out and we'll, we'll use all of those uh, qualifiers, right? Uh, and we'll see what happens down there. But uh, this should not have sat well with the Bills. I, I would imagine that it did not. Uh, you know, we haven't heard much from the team at all uh, publicly other than the, you know, the status quo uh, we're aware of the situation and, you know, we're not going to make any more comment on it. And, you know, Sean McDermott basically reiterated that when uh, the one time that he was asked about Ed Oliver. But uh, yes, yes, he is young. You're right. Uh, you know, he's uh, he's got a lot of money as a first round draft pick. And he did something, uh, at least allegedly, uh, that, you know, put other people at risk. And I, I think if the Bills uh, are, 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 you know, the franchise that we all want them to be, we all expect, hope that they are, that they are having a pretty serious conversation with him uh, about his decision making and about uh, doing things um, differently and, and, and handling situations like that much, much differently. Because let's face it, um, you know, if what is uh, or what has been reported uh, is true, uh, this this situation could have easily ended up a lot worse for not just Ed Oliver, but for others around him. And it, it is serious. It's something to be taken seriously. And it's something that hopefully the Bills are dealing with seriously. And and I don't have any reason to believe that they are not. Yeah, and it directly impacts the football team because he's likely to miss a game, maybe two, three. I, I don't know, but some disciplinary action is likely to happen. I want to talk about the new guys on the defensive line, which you said it. This is just a deep-ass unit. Maybe the deepest unit on this entire team. I at least want to acknowledge Harrison Phillips, too. He'll be back in the mix coming off his ACL this year. The new guys, three free agents and then a high draft pick. Let's talk about the free agents that they brought in. Mario Addison, Quinton Jefferson, and Vernon Butler. Your thoughts on them and how they might fit into this uh, to this unit, which, again, is very deep. Yeah, you know, start with Addison. Uh, loved getting the chance to to talk with him a little bit. And again, you know, it's just via zoom at this point with everything that's going on, but really looking forward to getting to know him a little bit more. You know, Sean McDermott already has talked him up uh, as a guy who has shown leadership qualities in this virtual setting. He was really uh, personable, outgoing, seems like he's going to be uh, one of those, one of those guys in the locker room that we're kind of always going to. And, you know, from an on-field perspective, what he can add, I think, you know, even at his age, which, you know, he's on the other side of 30 now, he's going to bring more to this team as a pass rusher than Shaq Lawson did. And I think that's a big reason why he's here. I think they wanted more of an edge rushing presence from that position. And they get it in Mario Addison, a guy who I think is, uh, you know, criminally underrated uh, in terms of his pass rushing ability. And uh, you just look at some of the guys that are that he's up there or maybe has more sacks than over the last four or five years. It's a, a pretty impressive number that he's put up. So I think that's the reason that he's here. You know, it's twofold. It's how he's going to fit into the room, how he's going to – he obviously knows this defensive scheme from his time with Sean McDermott, uh, you know, prior. And then, you know, on field, I think he's going to boost the pass rush. Um, Quentin Jefferson, you know, I, I'll be honest, I didn't know a lot about him, uh, you know, before free agency started, even maybe when free agency started, but – the one thing I found interesting about him is the reaction among Seattle fans. Uh, Seahawks fans were really upset to see this guy leave. And that's pretty telling, right? Because, you know, fan bases are, are knowledgeable, you know, and, and they know, uh, you know, maybe even more than the national media, uh, what a guy meant to a particular team because they're watching it down in and down out. And they all seem to think that Quentin Jefferson was a pretty big part uh, of that Seahawks defensive line. And, you know, to me, he's uh, a, a true chess piece up front because he can play defensive tackle. He can play defensive end. You can kind of put him wherever you need him. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, sort of what what role he carves out here with the Bills. And then, you know, Vernon Butler, I, I equate a lot, uh, you know, or, or kind of compare to the guy that we just talked about, Jordan Phillips. And Never really lived up. Phillips, I think, was a second-round pick of the Dolphins. Butler was a first-round pick of the Panthers. And until this past season was never really a starter. I think most Carolina fans would tell you didn't live up to that draft pedigree as a first-round pick. Well, maybe the Bills think they – obviously the Bills do think that they can help him unleash that potential that he still has even in going into his fifth year in the NFL. They know the player really well. 
I'm willing to to go along with their evaluation of the player, right? When you, you've got his defensive line coach here, you've got you know a guy who was in the front office when he was drafted, and Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott as his defensive coordinator, so they know what they're getting in Vernon Butler. And if they can if they can kind of coax kind of what they were able to do with Jordan Phillips uh, the same way out of Vernon Butler, it's going to be a great signing. Well, I'll tell you what, this unit is already deep with just the players that we talked about. Then you get to the draft second round, which for the Bills was their first pick of the draft. And they go and AJ Epinesa more or less kind of falls to them. Now, I know you're involved leading up to the draft doing some mocks. You're paying very close attention to what's going on with a lot of these prospects. Were you pretty surprised that he was available? And considering that most mocks that I saw, not that mocks are the Bible or anything, but I saw a lot of mocks where he was going as early as in the 20s and pretty consistently as well. So for him to fall to 54, were you a little bit surprised? And is that a pick that if you were, if Jay Skursky was in charge of the draft and not Brandon Bean and he's on the clock at 54, are you making that pick? Yeah, yeah, I think I am. And uh, I'll tell you how surprised I am. Uh, you, you know, you mentioned the mock drafts and yeah, you know, you know, you put the disclaimer out, right, that for entertainment purposes only most of the time on sure. those mock drafts. But I think, you know, they're, especially when they're done by, you know, the beat rider uh, in a certain city that that knows the team that that he's covering, maybe more so than guys who are just, you know, if I'm doing a mock draft and I'm doing the Cincinnati Bengals pick, right? I don't know what the Bengals need the same way that uh, somebody at the Cincinnati Inquirer uh, knows what the Bengals need. When it came when it comes to the Bills, though, I like to think that I do, right? And before they traded their first-round pick for Stephon Diggs, this is how much I thought A.J. Epinesa made sense. I gave the, the Bills A.J. Epinesa with the 22nd pick. So, of oh, course, wow. I was surprised that he was there at number 54. I didn't think there was any possibility of that. Now, that was... I want to say right before the combine or maybe right, you know, you know what? Actually, it was right after because Epinesa going into the combine was even going higher than 20 in some mock drafts. He was in the in the teens uh, in some that I saw, did not have a good 40 time at the combine. I thought that had the potential to knock him down. Now, when I say knock him down, I thought that meant knock him down in the first round. I, I did not foresee you could have asked me that the week after the combine or the day before the draft. There was no way I would have thought A.J. Epinesa would have lasted until the 54th pick. So I was very surprised, and I do think it was a very logical pick for the Bills. Linebacker is a position that's really intriguing to me because you got two studs in Milano and Tremaine Edmonds. A.J. Klein is a free agent signing. He'll, in part, kind of take over for a departing Lorenzo Alexander, who retired. So you got a lot of top-end talent there with Milano and with Tremaine Edmonds. My concern when I look at this roster is depth because there's not a lot behind those guys. You got Corey Thompson, Rashawn Joseph, uh, Tyler Mentekovich, who's basically a, a special teams guy. Then I'm looking at the rest of these, like Mike Bell, Terrell Dodson, Delshawn Phillips. Not a lot in terms of proven talent. So I guess this is going to be a two-part question here. How high are you on the ability of Edmonds and Milano? Because they're obviously going to be out there if they're healthy every single snap, literally every snap. And are you concerned about a lack of depth behind them? Or maybe you're higher on one or two of these guys than I am. Because I look at these starters, I don't see a lot after them. No, no, I'm with you. Yeah, I am. I am concerned about that. I think that's an area that... Uh, again, that the Bills would tell you that, you know, they've got guys that, that need to prove something there. Um, you know, certainly I, I think they they maybe believe in a guy like Dotson is pretty, pretty interesting. Right. They keep him around last year, even though, he, you know, he has an offseason arrest out in Arizona. Uh, he serves a suspension. They, they keep him all through that. Uh, he ends up getting cut, but then they put him on the practice squad and he, and he stays there. So I think clearly they see something in him that they want to see. Uh, more of, at least in training camp, to give them that opportunity. But, you know, let's face it, if something were to happen to, you know, and we talked about this on offense, right, with Josh Allen, you know, the season sunk. I don't know that I would go quite that far with uh, Milano or Edmonds on defense, but boy, they'd be in a world of trouble, I think, if they were to lose either of those guys. I mean, they are just so critical to what they do defensively. And and you said it, you know, the their ability to play in every situation, to be on the field for basically every snap just makes them so crucial to what they do. Because, def- you know, defensive line, we talked about it, right? A lot of talented players. 
they, quite frankly, they'd be able to withstand an injury up front. That's how deep they are. That deep is not, you know, it's non-existent at linebacker. I mean, it is Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano, AJ Klein in kind of a part-time role. You know, when they're in their in their base defense, Klein's probably in there, but they're they're not in their base defense. I mean, they're in their nickel defense more than they are in their base. So, you know, you can argue, you know, what type of impact Klein is going to have. He's not an every-down player um, it, it, by any stretch. So. Edmonds and Milano, to me, are the the key pieces that keep this defense uh, this defense going. And if something were to happen to them again, it would be a world of trouble for this team. I would say, obviously, Josh Allen one, Trey White, who we'll talk about briefly, he would be two. I'd say after those two guys, Edmonds and Milano, and maybe in that order, are probably the two next guys that you could least afford to lose on this roster to any sort of injury. One yeah. linebacker yeah. I want to ask you about. Well, Sean Joseph, you didn't get to see anything from him last year because he had a shoulder injury, missed the entire season. Did you like him coming out last year as a rookie? He was a fifth-round pick last year. Obviously, we didn't see nothing. Uh, Is he just another guy in the mix to you right now? Yeah, I think. I mean, I I do think, yeah, I think he's a guy in the mix. I I think, you know, athleticism, uh, I think he's got a little bit more of it than a guy like maybe Klein. Uh, So, you know, when you think of, guys behind Milano and uh, and Edmonds. You know, I know Matikevich is probably on paper going to be your backup middle linebacker, but athletically he is just not in the same class that Tremaine Edmonds is. And I don't even know that Voshan Joseph is in the same class as Matt Milano, but I think he's closer. Uh, so I think to me that's where, you know, the preseason, uh, you know, depending on how many games we actually get of the preseason, whether it's four or or maybe less if that's the route the NFL goes. But that's going to be huge for for not just Joseph, but for all of these linebackers that we're talking about from a depth perspective. They're, they are going to need the – Bills, uh, the Bills are going to need one or two of these young players to really elevate their games this summer and to show that they can be trusted uh, you know, in a time of need, whether that's uh, a short-term need if something were to happen in-game uh, or a me, uh, you know a medium term need if uh, Edmonds or Milano were to miss a, a week or two, or or even a long term need if the injury were more significant. I'm kind of gonna I'm gonna basically just glance over the safety position because they already got Poyer and Hyde, uh, Dean Marlowe's back. He resigned, and they got Jaquan Johnson. Not really much to say that's different about the safety position. How do you feel when you take that tandem about Poyer and Hyde? being one of the better safety tandems in the NFL. And of course, they did extend Poyer this offseason. I'm going to assume that that's a move that you agree with, that you like. Yeah, I I feel uh, a lot of what I think I I just said about Edmonds and Milano, I I think you can kind of say the same thing about uh, Poyer and Hyde and and their uh, importance to the defense, how well they work together, what they mean, uh, the flexibility that they give Leslie Frazier as the defensive coordinator. Um, their interchange, uh, you know, how interchangeable they are, how they can disguise coverages with those two guys. Um, you know, they're, they're interesting. You know, Hyde, I, I look at as being, I, I don't know if maybe the more complete player um, or I don't know. It's, it's hard to describe. It seems like Poyer makes more of the big plays, whereas Hyde just seems to be that steadying presence. Right. And, yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of an interesting dynamic that they have. I, I will say one thing about Poyer uh, that has stood out to me a little bit this offseason that that uh, the coaching staff has made mention of is the leadership that he's shown this spring. And that's a really welcome development. You like to see a guy who, you know, gets a well-deserved uh, extension, not just for the, you know, not just for the, the play on the field, but also for what he's bringing to the room. So I think it's it's good to see that he's taking that step in his career. I mean, just a lot of good things to say about both of those guys is, as players and then, you know, as, uh, as teammates in the locker room too. They're both very important pieces to the team. I'm glad you said that because I've heard that from a couple of people too, that people talk about Micah Hyde being a leader and you don't really hear that about Jordan Poyer, but that is true. I've heard that as well, that he's become one of the more vocal leaders on this team. So last position here, we got corner. Look, Trey White's one of the best corners in the NFL. Are you a little surprised that he hasn't gotten paid yet. I would expect him to become possibly the highest paid corner in the NFL. What do you think? Do you think he deserves to be? And are you a little bit surprised that they haven't addressed that yet? Now, I know they certainly don't need to, 
but I thought that might be something that they would try to work on. Has it happened yet? Yeah. Um, no, I can't say that I'm surprised just yet. I mean, you, you know, you look at they they've obviously extended or, uh, you know, picked up the option. So he's under contract for 2020 and 2021. Uh, you know, you, you reach out or you, you know, you, you look past that. They've got the franchise tag available to them. So I, I think the Bills are not coming from a situation where they're desperate to do something just yet. You know, the there's there's two ways to look at this. The first is you want to get something done sooner than later because the price tag is probably only going to go up, uh, particularly if, you know, if his play continues to be at a high level and then, you know, the market is reset by a guy like maybe Jalen Ramsey or something like that. Uh, and that's true. There, there is a risk involved for the Bills in that regard. But, uh, you, know, you know, from Trey White's perspective, there's a risk involved there too, right? And that's the, the constant, you know, risk of injury that, that every player incurs when they, when they step on the field. So, I, you know, I, I think that both sides kind of recognize right now that there isn't a, uh, a, a dire uh, emergency or urgent, I guess urgency is the better word. There isn't a dire urgency uh, on either part to get a deal done, right? Because Trey White's looking at it and saying, hey, I'm going to keep doing what I'm going to do and my market's only going to go up. And the bills are looking at it saying, you know, we've got more pressing things to worry about right now, whether that's a deal for uh, Deion Dawkins or whether that's a deal for Matt Milano, who are going to be unrestricted free agents after this season and you can't franchise both of them, right? So, I think Bean, I think Brandon Bean's attention is probably going to be focused on those two guys first, and then maybe you get to Trey White. You know, do, you know, does that happen in before the season starts? Maybe even in season. I think something like that. But I don't think there is a, is such an urgency that I would consider myself surprised that nothing's happened yet. All right, so this is the position that I've been waiting to ask you pretty much this entire episode. Back on Tuesday's show, I said that. The Bills did one thing I didn't like, and they did, they didn't do something. And by not doing something, meant they didn't go out and get a QB two. And I wasn't a fan of that. Here's the one move I didn't like, and let me preface this by saying, I very much trust Sean McDermott as a coach, and I very much trust Brandon Bean as a general manager to go out and get talent. That said, and I understand why, but Josh Norman signing before free agency even started, and then the Bills virtually doing nothing at that position afterwards very much concerns me. The guy's 32 years old. I know how good he was with Carolina. That was in 2015, man. He's had, and I know the Redskins are a disaster, but the guy's had a couple really shitty years in a row. He's 32 years old. And it's not so much that they signed him that I don't like. It's the fact that they didn't go out and do anything significant. I thought for sure that an early draft round or an early, I'm sorry, draft pick on a corner was going to be in order. There were a lot of good corners in free agency. They didn't want to get any of them. How are you feeling about Josh Norman? Maybe I'm being a little bit uh, paranoid here over what I've seen and read over the last couple of years of his career. What were your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, yeah I, I think I was a little bit surprised at the money, um, you know, being, I, I think, it, you know, the deal could be worth up to $8 million. To me, that that's starter money, you know, at, at cornerback. So, I think the message that it sent was, hey, we think that this guy is going to come in and regain his form, quite frankly, because I don't think you'd be paying him quite that much if you were maybe just taking more of a flyer on him, right? So I, I thought based on what they paid him, they see him having a role. Uh, so that part of it surprised me. I am not surprised that, you know, there, there's a few things I'm not surprised about. Number one, that they would be interested, right? He's got the, the relationship with McDermott. Uh, I'm sure that McDermott thinks that he can coax the best, you know, football out of him. He's already done that in his career. He, had, you know, had an all pro season uh, in this defense. And then, you know, from Brandon Bean's perspective, we've seen him in the last couple of years. He likes to utilize those, uh, you know, that sort of early start to free agency. We saw him do it a couple of other times with Kevin Johnson, uh, to name one, who, you know, Josh Norman actually ends up, at, you know, replacing on the roster. And there's some benefits to that, right? You know, you sign a guy before free agency starts, it fills a hole. It also doesn't count against the compensatory pick formula, blah, blah, blah. So, we, you know, there's some reasons for that. But uh, yeah, I, I think Norman to me is one of the more interesting players that we're going to follow in camp and, and in preseason, certainly. But really, we're not going to know uh, enough about 
him and, and whether he can regain that form until the regular season starts. And, you know, let's not forget about Levi Wallace. You know, he's a guy that, you know, I think fans have kind of been speculating every year is going to be, or I guess at least last year when they, they signed Kevin Johnson. Oh, well, that must mean that, you know, they're down on Levi Wallace. Well, Levi Wallace went out and, you know, he won that job. And, you know, I know by the end of the season, you know, he he started to lose a little bit of that playing time to Kevin Johnson, and then he ends up missing. Uh, Wallace does the the playoff game. But to his credit, you know, he is he has fought through, uh, you know, other challenges to his roster spot. And I would I would expect him to come to training camp and and put up another fight uh, to do that. So that'll be a really interesting uh, battle to watch there at number two cornerback. Can Josh Norman once again, uh, you know, kind of show that he is uh, not washed up, quite frankly, and that he's got something left? Or can Levi Wallace show that, you know, he can take a, a, another step in his career and be a viable starter opposite Tredavious White? That's a question that they need to answer. And I don't know that we'll have that answer until well into the regular season, maybe halfway through the regular season, will we really kind of see what the answer is, if anything, there. Yeah, and I'll say this much about the corners. They're at least, their strength in numbers, I guess you could say. They got Teron Johnson, great slot corner when he could stay healthy. Teron Neal showed some stuff last year. They did bring back EJ Gaines as well. His health, obviously, is a question. He was good in 2017, but the dude hasn't been healthy since then. So, a lot of question marks at corner outside of Trey White, who's one of the best. I would say, realistically, the best you could hope for is just don't let CB2 be a huge liability. That almost feels like it would be a win, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you're right. Yeah. I think you want to just have, have somebody that again, you don't, the nature of the NFL, you're not going to have pro bowlers at every position and you, and you don't need to have that. You just need to have guys who quite frankly, aren't killing you out there. And whether that's Wallace or Norman or somebody else, it's, that's what you've, that's what you've got to hope that you can find. I'll tell you what, I've been touting that we're going to talk special teams. Let's make that last about 30 seconds here. Because <laughs> right. Reed Ferguson is going to snap the football. Andre Roberts is going to return the kicks. Taiwan Jones, who we never mentioned yet so far, he uh, he was signed. Good special teams player. He's back in Buffalo. Uh, Bohorquez is the punter. Vedvik might give him a run, or maybe they bring in someone else. I don't know. I really don't care. I guess the one intriguing thing to me is that kicker, because they do have Steph- Stephen Hoshka, who did struggle but did play better at the end of the year. And then they drafted a kicker in the sixth round, Tyler Bass or Tyler Bass. I'm sorry. What were your thoughts on drafting a kicker? And you think this kid's got a very realistic chance, I would assume to come in and win that job. Yeah. I think he does have a realistic chance. Uh, you know, I think the the writing was on the wall for Hauschka last, uh, last season, right? When the, the bills put in a waiver claim on another kicker, uh, Chase McLaughlin, who I think ended up going to, to Indianapolis. But I mean, that the message was sent then at the time that Stephen Hauschka, his job is, uh, you know, his job security, I guess, is tenuous at best. And you're right. He did close the season strong. The The concern for me with Hauschka uh, is uh, just a, an utter disappearance of his leg strength. Where did it go? And I don't know that, you know, when, you know, if the Bills need a 50 plus yard field goal, I don't know that he's got the leg to do that anymore. And Heath Farwell, the special teams coordinator, told me that he did, that he was making them in practice. But I tell you, it didn't translate to games. And, and I thought there were times where they passed up, you know, longer field goals just because they didn't feel that he could make them. And I'm with you. Uh, you know, it, it, that is a, a, an interesting training camp battle, as, as, you know, as interesting, I guess, as special teams can get. But, you know, how do you, you know, how do you value a guy like Hauschka, who is very good from 40 – five, let's say, and in uh, versus a guy like Bass who has got, you know, who's got the leg, but, you know, can he show the, not only can he show the accuracy that that is going to be needed, but can he show to be able to do it under pressure in in an NFL setting? It's a lot different than doing it at Georgia Southern. So he's going to have something to prove, but, you know, the fact that they they spent a six-round pick on him, uh, to me, puts him, I don't know if I would say in the driver's seat, but, you know, it's, it's absolutely... He's going to have an opportunity to win a job. He's going to have a very real opportunity to unseat Stephen Hauschka. Last question, and then we're going to wrap up with the fun fact finale. So the Buffalo Bills right now are the trendy pick. They're the ones that are favorites in Vegas and around the the national sports media to win the AFC East. Certainly could see why. They finished 10-6 and last year. They made the playoffs. They made the playoffs two of the last three years. Got all their team basically back, the nucleus of it. They added 
a number one wide receiver. Conversely, New England loses arguably the greatest quarterback who's ever played football. He goes to Tampa. So I get it. My question is, do you think the Bills are deserving to be in the, the favorites to win the AFC East? Because you can look at it this way. On paper right now, they might be the better team. Or you can look at it from the school of thought that until you beat the champs, you shouldn't be the favorites because Bill Belichick still does coach New England. They still have a very good defense and an unknown at quarterback. And again, I'm not saying New England's going to win the division or that they'll even be good. But until you beat them, should they be the favorites? Or do you think the Bills have earned the right to be AFC's favorites? Well, I, I think... I think the Bills have earned the right, uh, you know, with the way that they played last season. Uh, I'm totally okay with them being the favorites. Now, to your point, I think that the message that Sean McDermott should be conveying is to, to his team is, why are we the favorites? What have we done? We need to go beat New England. And that has been the message that he has conveyed. Uh, I think anytime or, or really anyone from the organization has been asked about that idea, right, of going into the season as the favorites. They've all mentioned that, you know, until somebody beats them, that the Patriots uh, are the the standard bearers in the division. But, you know, w- with all of the losses that New England went through, and it's more than just Brady, you know, the, a lot of talent walked out of the door on, def- on, on defense, too, for the Patriots. I do think them taking a step back is reasonable. And the way that they ended last season and, and how they looked in that playoff game uh, against Tennessee – it seemed like a, a franchise and a team that was headed in the wrong direction. And yeah, they're, you know, they're going to have some big changes and I'm sorry until Jarrett Stidham shows me something uh, as their starting quarterback, assuming that he is the guy that ends up with the job uh, to, to expect a lot from the Patriots. I'm just not going to do that right now. So I'm, I'm on board with the bills being favorites in the AFC East. I'm going to pick them to win the, win the AFC East when when we do our preseason projections here uh, a little bit closer to the start of the season. So I, I don't think it's a reach at all to think that the to think of the Bills as favorites in the AFC East this year. All right, fair enough. So we're going to end fun fact finale. I do this with typically the first time I have a sports media guest or an athlete on. I'm just going to ask you a bunch of random questions. Not a lot of deep thought required. Whatever your answer is, is bam. Spit it out. Now, like I said, I did this with you the first time you were on episode five, but I've changed so many of the questions that I feel like it doesn't count. And plus, like I said, if you've heard a couple of these before, you probably don't even remember <laughs> what you told your wife last week, let alone remember what you told me as an answer two, two plus years ago. So you, you ready to roll, man? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Favorite all-time athlete? Ooh. Um... That's tough for a sports writer. Alexander McGillney. Okay. What's your favorite city that you've been able to visit? Whether it's just for work, vacation, whatever. Your favorite city you've been to? Uh, Boston. Who was your first celebrity crush that you could remember? Cindy Crawford. Cindy Crawford. That, you know what? That might be mine too. And I actually, no, Olivia Newton John would be first. Cindy Crawford would be second. <laughs> What's your go-to snack like when you're up late at night taping a podcast like you are with me and you get off and you're hungry before you go to bed what are you gonna grab uh wheat thins okay what movie have you rewatched more than any other movie that you can remember Ooh, um office space okay i'm gonna put you on blast here a little bit what's your worst habit <laughs> oh god just so there's so many um <laughs> well, uh, oh god professionally procrastination okay uh name a tv game show that you feel like you could win if you maybe even potentially dominate it could be a current game show or a past one sports jeopardy sports jeopardy all right in this world right now instead of us taping late into the night we're actually we're at Snyder's Bar and Grill. We just had some wings. I got karaoke night going on there. And in this scenario, you're a great singer. You're going to grab the mic. The bartender, the people there at the bar, they're going to start singing along with you. Like, what song you can get up there and sing that people are going to like? Karaoke is like my great fear. I'll just say that first. I'm like the, uh, I'm not shy in, in some ways, but in, if it, in singing in front of a group, I would be shy. But if I had to, uh, Juicy by Biggie Smalls. <laughs> Ain't that kind of funny that you could go up to say Barry Sanders 
one of the greatest running backs ever and, and just have a natural conversation with him and do your job. But put yourself with a microphone and five people watching you sing a song, you get nervous. Ain't that uh, weird? Yeah, I'm I'm telling you, it's like it's like my great fear. I just I would not want to do it. I don't know what it is about it. I've never it's just never appealed to me. It's so interesting how some people just live for it and then other people just want nothing to do with it. And I'm totally in that camp. Okay. Last three questions. Who's your favorite Twitter follow? Like if you could only, if you were to lose every single person that you follow, except one, you got to keep one Twitter handle and one only, who would it be? Or what would it be? So it has to be an individual? No, it could be an organization. It could be whatever you want, but just one Twitter handle and that's it. You're losing everyone else that you follow. Wow. Oh boy. I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to want to revisit this one. I, I'd say I, I, I would follow the New York times just to kind of know about what's going on in the world. I, that's probably, I, I'm probably going to hate that answer when we hang up, but uh, I, that's what I think of right now. <laughs> okay. Well, that's kind of the fun of this. This is on the spot stuff. All right. Second, last question here. Give me a fun fact about Jay Skirsky that a lot of people might not know. Ooh, boy. Um, well, yeah, I, I think most people know I'm into golf. I do have one hole in one in my life. Uh, I had that with my dad and my uncle, which was which made it even kind of extra special that I got to uh, enjoy that moment with them. Uh, I did buy, you know, I did the obligatory buying the round of drinks at the bar and everything, and uh, so that is a pretty cool memory and uh, something that you know I know. Uh, a lot of golfers are maybe either jealous of or can relate to as, as being uh, something that they'll never forget in their lives. What course was it at? It was at Rothland out in Akron. It was the 12th hole and it was 147 yards. I could tell you everything about it. <laughs> what club did you use? Eight iron. <laughs> I knew you would know that. <laughs> All right. Last one here. I'm probably asked you this the first time. I'm asked you again. Maybe your answers have changed, but I always end it the same way. So you could have three celebrities or historical figures, whatever, anyone you want at your house tonight for dinner, couple drinks, three people from any era, dead or alive, doesn't matter. Three people. Who would you have? Uh, okay. So celebrities, you said, um, celebrity, well, historical Jordan figure. Would, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'll go just the celebrity route. So yeah, Michael Jordan would be one, uh, you know, idolized him growing up. Um, I know I picked Alexander McGillney as my favorite athlete earlier. Jordan would probably be a close second on that. Um, Gord Downey would be two, uh, lead singer of the Tragically Hip, uh, a band near and dear to my heart and, and my friend's heart, uh, passed away from brain cancer a few years ago and uh, still deeply miss him and in, in his music. Um, let's see, number three as a celebrity. Um Oh boy, that, that's a tough, I need a third celebrity, huh? Um, Pope John Paul II is a person that, uh, you know, his life uh, and who he was and what he meant. Uh, he was, he was Polish, I'm Polish. And uh, my family, uh, we have uh, really, um, we, we really appreciated uh, what type of a person he was. And I think with all that's going on in the world right now, uh, we need more people uh, like he was. So I would love to uh, to listen to him and, and to take some lessons from him. And uh, uh, it, it's not even a religious thing necessarily. Uh, I'm not even Catholic, actually, but uh, just the uh, the person that he was. I think that would be pretty interesting to uh, have a conversation with him. Yeah, for sure. All right. So back to back episode, State of the Buffalo Bills with Jay Skursky. Follow Jay on Twitter at Jay Skursky. Check out thebuffalonews.com, support them, subscribe. Bro, thanks a lot, man. Your money. Hey. I knew I'd be able to count on you. Two episodes back to back. Uh, I always love talking to you. You know that. Yeah, well, hey, thank you for saying that about the news. Uh, it's appreciated on my end. And uh, thank you especially for having me. I uh, always always love doing it. Sorry I'm rambling on here. But uh, yeah, you know, uh, you know I, I'm always there for you whenever you call. All right, boys and girls, that is going to do it for today. A very big thank you one more time, Jay Skursky from the Buffalo News. Not just for today, but also had him on Tuesday. Both shows, really entertaining, good stuff from Jay, so thank you very much. Also want to thank today's show supporters, Audimute, 
26 shirts and sounds assured. Coming up next week, we talked about him a little bit on the podcast today. Stu Boyer, freshly retired from WGRZ-TV. He's going to be my guest next Tuesday. We're going to talk about his life, his career, his retirement, all kinds of stuff. Stu, one of the nicest guys out there. So I'm very much looking forward to that. That'll be on next Tuesday's episode. Guys, if you have not done so already, please go ahead, subscribe to this podcast right now. Rate and review, all that fun stuff. It only takes a minute for you to do, and it really, truly helps me continue to grow this podcast tremendously. Uh, You can catch us on all the major podcasting platforms. Also, make sure you go on YouTube. Check out Talking Buffalo Podcast YouTube channel, which is not the same as the podcast, by the way. That's mainly highlight clips from current and past episodes. You can subscribe to that. And then last but not least, follow me on Twitter at Pamoran Tweets. I'm constantly tweeting out podcast updates, upcoming guests, promos, polls, all kinds of stuff there. At Pamoran Tweets. Thank you again so much for listening. That's how I end every episode by thanking you because it's the most important thing to me. Uh, I know how many podcasts there are out there, a million of them. Not more. And when you're tuning into this one, it's very humbling, very satisfying to me. So thank you very much. Have a good weekend. Stay safe. Continue to do what you're supposed to do. And uh, hopefully we'll get through the stuff sooner than later. Have a good one. Be back. Brand new show. Stu Boyer coming up on Tuesday. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.